I don't know if y'all have ever fought with a sibling. Any of you ever fought with a sibling? I had two brothers. We were good at that. So, um, siblings tend to egg each other on a bit, you know. And they fight like, you're on my side of the car. You touch me. You got to go first last time. Oh, I'm going to race faster than you. So there was this dad making pancakes one morning. And his two sons, Kevin and Ryan. Kevin was the older. Ryan was the younger. Um, They were arguing over who would get the first pancake, right? And so the dad, wanting to teach a biblical lesson at that moment, said... If Jesus were here, he would say, I'm going to let my brother go first and have the first pancake. So Kevin, the elder, said to his younger brother, Ryan, why don't you be Jesus first? (laughs) So Esau and Jacob are two brothers. They're twins, but they're as different as they can be. Esau is born first literally by minutes, maybe even seconds, because Jacob comes out holding his foot as he comes out. And from that point on, he's trying to get in first place. Now, Esau, he was the athletic type. He liked to go hunting He was on the football team. The girls loved him. Jacob, he was quiet, thoughtful, tended to stay at home. He was shrewd. Now, Daddy Isaac loved Esau or favored him. And Mama Rebecca tended to favor Jacob. And you can imagine that the dynamics in that family got a little edgy at times. Jacob was always waiting to see how he could take advantage. And one of the things I imagine that stuck in his craw was that when their daddy died, the eldest son got two-thirds of the property. So Jacob going to wait his turn. And one day Esau comes back from a camping trip. He's been hunting. Apparently he didn't get anything at all. He comes in just starving. And Jacob is cooking. And Esau says to him, Man, give me some of that stew. I'm just, I'm starving. And Jacob really coolly replies, Well, I'll trade you. I'll trade you the stew for your inheritance. And Esau does it. He gives away his inheritance because he's so hungry. Now, that strikes us as a pretty dumb thing to do. But sometimes we don't think about the consequences. So I imagine later on that Esau had some resentment And that it stuck in his craw that he was going to get his great-great-granddaddy's platinum pocket watch. It didn't work, but still, it was a cool thing. 
and that he was going to get the family house down by the river. It didn't help matters that Jacob, years later, conned both his dad and Esau again. And Esau said he's going to kill his brother as soon as his daddy dies. And that brings us to our scripture for this morning. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending. And the Lord stood beside Jacob and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone which he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the time. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be the Lord's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. So Jacob gets out of town while the getting is good. He's out there. He doesn't have a cell phone, no plans, no future, no home to return to. All his scheming has brought him a big fat zero. And it's there where the endless miles stretch before him that he lies down. And he dreams. There without resources, when he's the most vulnerable, God comes to him in a dream. And he sees a ladder going up to heaven with angels, which are messengers of God, going up and down. 
And then God is standing right beside him. Now, in our imagery, a ladder refers to what? Like the corporate ladder. What does that mean? Climbing the corporate ladder. It means, it means moving up in the world by your own efforts. Climbing the ladder of success. In Led Zeppelin's song, The Stairway to Heaven, it refers to a woman who wants to buy the stairway to heaven. Now, you know it's one of the best rock songs of all time. And there's even allusion in there to that ladder that money cannot buy. So here is a very different image of a ladder. It is not one that we climb up. It's one where God comes down to us, where God brings us a new word and breaks into our life and changes things, changes our perceptions, how we see the world, changes what we thought about ourselves. And so God comes to Jacob and he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. And I'm going to be with you. And you're going to come back to this land. And your descendants are going to be a blessing to the world. And I will take you home again. At this point, we may be feeling a little resentful. Why is God picking the swindler, the con, the person who is certainly less than respectable? As a friend said, it makes me really uneasy that God picking, keeps picking people that aren't good examples to us. But God picks Jacob anyway picking the less than perfect person. And Jacob's response after he wakes up is God is in this place and I did not know it. God is right here. I didn't know it. And as yet, God is not his God. So I was talking to a nurse this week, and you can change the slide. And this nurse was in Target. And she was standing near the door, and there was a group of young adults who all had challenges. Autism, Down syndrome. And there was one young man, probably in his mid-twenties, who could not step through the door because there were balloons set up by the entrance and he couldn't walk past him so he'd go to the door and he'd step and he'd draw his foot back and he'd step and he'd draw his foot back and the leader who was with them came up and said I'll take your hand and he went no so he stepped again several times and finally made it through the door and the young woman who had Down syndrome, who was behind him, started to cry with happiness. Why are you crying? 
Andrew was so brave. God was at target, and I did not know it. I talk to people. Actually, I listen at these points. And I hear all the time of the ordinary ways that God encounters us. It can be as ordinary as washing the dishes and looking out and there's a hummingbird hovering right in front of you through the window. And you stop and you thank God. It can be when you are so down and out and vulnerable that you finally let God in, even in the terrible places. So many people say that when they're with a family member who's dying or ill, that's when they have felt the closest to God. And I remember the family who came in in shifts holding their dad's hand and they read the Psalms to him continually and prayed the Lord's Prayer with him so that he would be comforted as he died. There have been people who said, you know, I just, I just can't get that scripture out of my mind. Or, you know, that sermon sort of irritated me, made me think. There was a woman in this church who was in a disciple class. That's a long-term Bible study class. And we got into the prophets. And the prophets are all about living the way God wants us to live in the world. And during that time, she was just thumbing through the Sunday paper. And for some reason, she went to the want ads. And she saw math teacher needed at juvenile correction center. And she went, hmm, didn't think anything more about it. Next week, the one ad's there again. And the next week, and the next week. And she had a degree in math education, although then she was in retail and doing quite well. And it just wouldn't go away. So, between the scripture and the one ad, she felt called to apply and she taught math in a high school correctionals facility. God was in the one ads and I did not know it. I love the story of Francis Collins. Francis Collins was the co-director of the Human Genome or Genome Project. So he and scientists around the world mapped out the 3.1 billion letters that are in each of our DNA sequence. 3.1 billion. They were able to identify the gene for cystic fibrosis and, and type 2 diabetes. He grew up in Charlottesville and was an atheist. He had a PhD in chemistry and then went on to medical school. And when he was a resident, he kept encountering people, particularly those who were dying, who faced it with peace. And he just didn't get it. And he began to ask them 
what it was about, and they started to talk about their faith. And one woman said to him, I've told you my faith. What do you believe in? And he wasn't able to say anything, and he went out into the hall, and he literally slumped down because the question had sent him into a tailspin. Here he was, a scientist, who had gone logically about trying to prove or disprove a theory, and he always dismissed God as irrelevant. And so he went on this two-year search, and he found that there were plenty of writers who have a rational argument for God, and he became to believe in God and then in Jesus. He has said that science for him is a way of worshiping God. I heard him downtown at VCU, and literally the audience gasped when he put up this slide. The slide on the left is the York Minster Rose window. The slide on the right is a slice of DNA. The York window was made, that cathedral finished in 1408, long before there were microscopes. For Francis Collins, God is in the lab. And as he learns more and more about the universe, he's led to praise God more. God is in this place, and I did not know it. At home, at work, here at church, God is present. When Jacob wakes up and he goes, he, he decides to take the rock he's sleeping on and set it up as a monument to the place, to his encounter with God. And he promises to come back and to build a house of worship and give 10% of all he owns. And I love what he says. He says, if God will be with me and if God will be my protector, and if God will give me food and clothing, and if God will bring me back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. He's not all the way there. He's just starting out on the journey of trusting this odd and magnificent God. And you know that's good enough for God. What I want you to do with your rock this week, the rock's in the basket there, hopefully you picked up a rock, is I want you to put it in your pocket. And I want you to just feel it this week as a reminder that God is with you and God might be just in the place you don't want to be. And you may even want to leave it someplace as a marker. So I invite you to take one or more stones as a reminder.
Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you come to us less than perfect people, that you are for us and not against us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We give you thanks that you work with us. Help us, O Lord, to see you, to look for you, to worship you, day by day, in all that we do. And when we forget, O Lord, nudge us, interrupt us, for we need you. This we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.